0: All right. Thanks, guys. Good morning again. And I'm Jim again, still. Um, Special guest, come on up here, Savannah, and join me. She's got a little something to share with you all about our H2O college ministry at UCF, and we have students from other schools also. But there's just been some really cool things happening, and we wanted to share that with you guys.
1: So hi, I'm Savannah, I'm the Administrative and Outreach Intern at UC, UCF H2O College, and we had our retreat last weekend, we had about 18 people there. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, that's little pics of outside, so it was an amazing time, and I just keep seeing the ripples of everything that happened, and people keep coming up to me saying, oh my gosh, like, God showed me this because of quiet time here, and now I'm doing this, and this is my new regimen, and... Um, there's people that believed in God and came. There was people that had never opened the Bible. I had to show someone where Genesis was, so that's a really cool thing. Um, so people that donated, you know who you are in this room. You made it possible, and you really did change lives. You're, yes, we could talk to them. Yes. Um, and I don't want that phrase to be taken lightly, because changing lives, I think people say that a lot, but you really did. Like, people wept, people hung out together and found friendships. Two people got baptized yesterday that went to retreat. Allie and Megan. Megan's right there. (laughs) That's Allie. That's what she did when she came out of the water. It was really great. So yeah, we just want to thank everyone that was a part of it. And if you want to support Megan, she's also one of the interns that wants to come on so you can raise support for her. Um, Yeah, so just thank you for everyone that helped and please keep praying that this revival that happened doesn't diminish. That's all.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much. Yeah, I mean, we have students from, you know, a number of different backgrounds and some that have never had any exposure to um, the gospel or to church. And so for some to hear that, oh my gosh, there's people that don't even know us that provided, like, money and scholarships for us so we could go? Like, really? And so, it was encouraging for me as a pastor to say, yeah, that's that's part of how we operate as a family and as a community, is that people give to one another because they really want to encourage others. They want to help others grow spiritually, and this is just this is part of what it's like, and so their first introduction to the Christian faith is people that are willing to give to them for their growth, and so that was just really cool to see. So, let's pray. God, we're thankful for this morning that you have um, you have something for us that you want us to take away <clears throat> from this morning, something that... Um, we can apply to our life a truth that can change us. And so, God, we ask that as we talk about some pretty deep stuff that you would show us why this matters, why this makes a difference, and that it can make a difference in our life daily And that it can make a difference in others' lives also as we introduce people to you. So, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you're going to give us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, I had some water somewhere. Where did that go? There was? No. Could someone just grab grab me one? Thanks, Savannah. I had one like sitting right here that's weird. That's really, yeah, no, that's weird. So, so this morning we are going to take a look at a really important doctrine that can enable us to understand and get to know our God in a way that can revolutionize our understanding of who He is. Oh, thank you. Oh my gosh, thanks. Appreciate it, big time. Um, And this this doctrine, just understanding it, can revolutionize our um, concept, our understanding and relationship with God, um, understanding who He is, how He operates, and how we can relate to Him, okay? Now, this doctrine is the Trinity, okay? And the Trinity is, it's kind of this religious term that some of us have heard um referred to. One of the things about this doctrine is that it clearly separates the God that Jesus talked about from other gods that were on the market at the time and still are, other ones that are kind of making their presence known. And so, this is one of the reasons that that common phrase that we hear all too often now is that, well, all religions are are basically the same is really not an accurate statement. When I hear that, it usually reveals that who's ever communicating that has kind of a, a very surface level understanding understanding of what the world religions teach. And so um, <clears throat> there's a, a poem that I that I love. Um, it's kind of this uh, like exposure with irony and. Inconsistency and the hypocrisy of kind of modern, postmodern thought. And um, it's brilliant, written by a guy named Steve Turner. And it's called, the title is Creed. And he's talking about this concept that world religions are basically the same. And he says, We believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the one that we read about was. So often that statement comes from someone that has really only read maybe one. He said, they all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. Which really means that they're very, very different. Okay. So um, this doctrine will help us see Such a clear distinction between the Christian teaching and what else is out there. And it all started in the beginning in Genesis where Scripture tells us that God made us in His image, but there's a plural word that's used, that we are made in our image, okay? Using this plural word to describe Himself, okay? And so, this is the beginning of this truth that is difficult for us to understand, okay? This is a tough one. Um, as limited human beings, when our human minds, this is not an easy concept to understand. Hopefully, this helps this morning. Um, but what Scripture teaches us is that the Christian God... And the God of the Old Testament and New Testament, this God who's introduced in Genesis, is three distinct personalities, but one person. So, three distinct people, and also being one person. And that's tough to kind of get our you know, our heads wrapped around that. So we're going to try to talk a little bit this morning about, well, how do we we observe this? How does this God operate? How does this work? And fortunately, we have our own experience, which can attest to this, but we also have Scripture, and Scripture is real clear on this. So the first and most obvious, if you're taking notes, is God has given us a physical representation of himself in the revelation and person of Jesus, okay? When it comes to some of the other world religions, there is a lot of, um, gosh, there's a lot of theory. It can be really vague. There's a very distant, transcendent God that is tough to understand. But when it comes to Christianity, we have the object of our worship, who actually became a human being. Now, we can say that with ease because we've heard that a number of times for those of us that have been Christ followers for a while, but think about that, that God, the object of the worship, who we worship in our faith, became a human just like us that is really different and unique and crazy okay that is not what other world religions teach not at all the christians were saying that our god was here with us breathed the air that we breathe he's from this nazareth area like bethlehem to be exact Joseph and Mary, the, he's the carpenter's son. Like Scripture gave this address for where he was going to show up, and pinpointed that God in the flesh would appear. That is really different, really different. And so, first chapter of Hebrews says this: Hebrews one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being." sustain all sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs so scripture is telling us that jesus is the creator okay If you want to see God, look at Jesus, the exact representation of God. Jesus was saying the same thing to His disciples, and they didn't really get that. That was hard for them to pick up on also. There's one instance where in uh, in Scripture, um, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and Philip says this, like, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us, okay? That'll be enough for us if you can just show us the Father. And Jesus probably, you know, um, maybe a little bit exasperated, says, Philip, I've been with you this entire time, and you still don't know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you ask this? Like, show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And so Jesus there is trying to get them to see, like, you guys are asking to see God. And I'm trying to tell you that everything I do that I embody, I am God. In the flesh. In John chapter 10, Jesus is in this conversation, or you could really say a conflict with the Jewish leaders, and He's discussing, kind of referring to those that were following Him, Jesus' followers, and His um, word for the Jewish leaders is, listen, any of my followers, it doesn't matter what you try to do, you can't touch them. You can't touch them. In verse 29, John 10, 29, he says, My Father who has given them, and that's us right there, that's us included in this verse, has given them to me is greater than all. In other words, He's greater than you guys. No matter what you try to do to my followers, you can't snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he says, I and the Father are one. So this is Jesus referring to this Trinity and that He and God are one. And then verse 31 says what? At this, the Jews again picked up stones to stone him. They knew what he was saying. Seems like the religious leaders picked it up a little bit quicker than the disciples, but that was worthy to be killed. Like, that's it. Now he's really done it. He was saying, I am God. You want to see the Father? Here I am. Okay. So, um, Facebook. You know, a lot of us have it, and uh, and I enjoy it. I like just writing things on there. Uh, we have lots of friends that are not in Florida, um, and so they don't get to like. Our family is all up north. They don't get to experience or enjoy like hardly any of the stuff that goes on with our kids. And that is a bummer. And so, one of the only ways is that I could post things on there. And, but, you know, when there's family events that are big, like graduation or something, it seems like the whole family is in the pictures. And I, I love that. Like, I love seeing my friends from high school and their kids and, and these big family events where everyone's there. And there's this type of event that happens with Jesus, So at the very beginning of his public ministry, this inauguration, kind of the beginning of him going public and starting this three-year journey of telling people that he is the Messiah, he gets baptized, okay? And that's when it all begins, and guess what? The whole family shows up for it, okay? So Matthew 3, it says this, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, John the Baptist is just, you know, he's a normal human, and he's thinking, wait a minute, this is really messed up. Like, uh, you should be baptizing me. That This shouldn't be happening. So, John's a little confused here, too. And he says, but John tried to deter him, deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Like, okay, whatever you say, I'm going to go with it. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So there's the Trinity right there. They all showed up at one time for this big family event. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit together. And the disciples later like referred to this, like we were there, we saw this. And that was the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And I love the relational thing that's going on there too, that you have the Father saying, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. Important instructions for us as parents to bless our children and do it publicly and so they can hear it in front of everybody. God does that. So, they all show up for Jesus' baptism. We have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Trinity on display. And later on in 2nd Peter again the disciples refer to this scenario, this happening. So Jesus begins the public ministry and from then on he does things and he's done a few things prior to that, but from then on he starts doing things that are really only reserved for one person, God. So he's making this Trinitarian God known to the masses. He gives credit to the Father and credit to the Son, or uh, sorry, credit to the Spirit over and over as he is following his Father's will. So now he starts doing all these things that are really only reserved for God. Jesus starts messing with the weather, and people notice that. He's healing people with no passage of time, like real quickly, and so it starts to spread that He has this power to do things that are not natural and it's not normal. He also starts forgiving people's sins for them, made the Jewish leaders really upset that someone that they thought was just a human was forgiving Sins because only God can do that, and to where Jesus would reply, Exactly, that's who I am. We see him never being distracted or moved or swayed by the mission. He doesn't sin. If we read through scripture, nobody looks good, like every person. In Scripture, it looks like a frail human. There's only one that comes out smelling like a rose. It's Jesus. That's it. The rest make just bumbling errors over and over. Jesus was doing these things where He knew the future. He knew the past. He would talk about those events. He would describe events that He wasn't present for. And someone would interact with Him and think, He doesn't even know me, and He just told me about my life and my past, and I haven't told anybody these things. He would know what's on someone's heart or mind prior to them sharing that, and He was just 100% sold out to His Father's will. So now we get to see God incarnate, the incarnation of God walking the earth. That's us just seeing God in the flesh. The thing that's really, like, deeply profound about this is that He is also living a human life, like our lives, experiencing temptation, hurt, pain, emotions, loneliness, betrayal, people lying about Him, injustice. So, we have a God who has walked in our shoes times a thousand. Is there any other faith or world religion that teaches that? No, not even close, no. In Christianity, we have a God who fully relates to us. It's an incredible truth. So we have the Father that was setting times and dates. We have the Son and the Spirit being present and in on all of it. We have the Son living out in human flesh in front of us and the Holy Spirit giving Jesus. And then later on, us, the energy and power to live for the Father. It's an incredible dynamic that is starting to happen. One of my favorite like Christian apologists, Ravi Zacharias, said this really eloquently. Only in the Trinity is there unity and diversity in this community. So in the community of the Trinity, we see unity and diversity expressed. It's quite the team of Avengers, okay? They were independent, yet dependent on one another. Okay? It's a monumental doctrine. So, it should come as no surprise that this doctrine is consistently attacked by objectors because of its implications. Here's the implications. If this is true, Jesus was and is eternal. That means He is God. He's not just a human, not just a wise person or a good prophet or a good teacher, but He is something altogether different. That is controversial today. If it's true, then we have to deal with the things that Jesus said also. And He said this, I am the way the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father but through me. That's it. He did not say there are many ways to God. I am just one way. So, Jesus was exclusive, and I mean, He came across like that was offensive even back then. It's offensive now Nobody, I mean, none of us like the guy who's like, I have all the answers. We don't like those people, do we? You know, I mean, we hear someone who speaks like that, it's like, who do you think you are, God? And in this case, Jesus would reply, yes, yes, that's exactly. And because of that authority, I am telling you, I am the way. Man, that was offensive. That was really offensive to those Jewish leaders. Where Jesus is saying, what you guys have been telling people is way off. Salvation isn't found by following all the religious laws that you're talking about. In fact, salvation is found through following me. That is offensive. And I think in today's culture, it is really easy to kind of ignore these tough things that Jesus said and only look at some of the others and say, yeah, he's just a good teacher. But we have to include everything. He said some really narrow things. The Jewish leaders knew it was narrow. They knew that like, what he was saying was really clear, and so that's why they were so ticked off. At one point, you know, the, the, what they were kind of spouting back to him, it was like, who do you think you are? Like, you, you're not even 30 years old, and you're telling us what we should believe. So he's got, you know, senior elders in the, in the religious community And here's someone that they say at that point, you're not even 30 and you're telling us what everything is about. You're telling us that salvation is through you. And they go on to say, so are you saying that you're better and you're more authoritative than like Abraham, who's our father in the faith? And then Jesus, like he takes that opportunity And he says, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm not only saying that, I'm saying that I existed before Abraham was even born. In fact, your father Abraham longed to see my arrival. And then he says this, before he was here, I am. I am. He was using this Word only reserved for God to describe himself, and essentially saying, I'm eternal and I am the authority here. Jesus made no bones about his identity. No wonder they said he's a blasphemer and they wanted to kill kill him. No wonder. Our culture isn't okay with Jesus talking like this. That is not politically correct, which really is kind of our new religion now. Like if you're politically correct and you hold all these certain um, kind of perspectives on things, you could be considered a good person. And I've heard this said about Jesus, like he was a good person, a good dude. A solid teacher gave us some good principles to live by, but he really isn't any different than other humans. Maybe a little more enlightened, but that's about it. But then when we take this extra step and we talk about him being God, that's not okay. It's narrow, it's exclusive, it's judgmental. Some might use some inflammatory language and say, It's dangerous to believe such a thing. And if someone does believe that Jesus is the only way, they should be shamed and ostracized. But that's what Jesus said. It's me. I am the answer, period. The last thing we're going to discuss this morning... um, in regard to the Trinity, is how the Son, the Father, and the Spirit, how they submit to one another, like they outdo one another in honoring one another. And so we see this prior to Jesus' death in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus' crucifixion. He knows His fate. He knows that He is there He's here to die for our sin, to pay our death penalty that you and me owe. The Word says the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? Something you earned. We have earned a death penalty. He knew that he was going to be paying that, but in his humanity says, hey, Dad, is there any other way that maybe we could pull this off? And then he immediately submits to his father. He says, but not my will here, your will, may that be done. He still submits to his father in his greatest weakness, his greatest time of weakness. So, this relational commitment to one another in this trinity is striking. It's interesting, there's even a spot where Jesus, there's a question and he says, well, only the Father knows that. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. He's God, and yet it's kind of like, nope, he knows that. That's not that's not my department or whatever. And so part of that, and theologians have some terms for this, but part of this was God in the flesh giving up his position at God's side and becoming a human being, the king of kings becoming a peasant for the good of his father's will and for the good of us, the peasants. And Jesus was fully on board with it. He's unified with the Holy Spirit and with his father, his cohorts. I love that Jesus said, I gave my father glory on earth by completing the work He gave me to do. So we see this relational God modeling for us how we are to operate in unity and diversity in our community. This models how we are to operate. We are the church. We are Christ's body. Filled by the Spirit and following the Father's will. And so there's this relational submission to one another just as we now submit to one another for the good of the bigger cause and the mission where we love one another and we serve one another and we pray for one another. We submit to one another. God has modeled this for us. That's why this doctrine is so important. And God gives us so much to go on when it comes to what does it mean to follow Jesus. Philippians 2, section probably a lot of us are familiar with, Philippians 2 verses 8 through 11, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, back to his baptism, Jesus honored his father's wishes, And the father saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. The father was honoring his son publicly for all to witness. C.S. Lewis has a great quote in regard to this relational God and how they work together. Here it is. In Christianity, God is not an impersonal thing or static thing. He's not even just one person but a dynamic pulsating activity, a live drama, almost as it were, a kind of dance. What does it all matter? It matters more than anything else in the world. For the whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each of us. They are the great fountain of energy and And beauty spurting up at the very center of reality, and there is no other way to the happiness for which we have been made. So with us being made in His image, we are intrinsically made to operate in relationship. And there is beauty when we submit lovingly to one another, and we're on mission together. That's one of the things that's been so encouraging about what's been going on with the college group, is seeing God work in each other's lives and for us to love and serve one another. Following Jesus, being filled with the Spirit, creates this internal desire for us to honor and serve one another, to turn selfishness, turn our hearts to selflessness. John referred to this verse in Malachi a couple weeks ago that says that God will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, that God relationally does work in us that's Trinitarian in nature, where we submit and honor and serve one another. That is truly unique to the Christian message. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful That you've given us so much to go on, not guesswork, but you've given us deep, dynamic truth that is so unique and so different. All religions aren't the same. There is one that stands above, and there is an authority who is God in the flesh. And so, God, we want to submit to you, Jesus. We thank you that you're the way, the truth, and the life and that we have a way back to the Father and to be restored through what you did for us. Thank you that you didn't have any sin, and so you could willingly pay our death penalty for us because you didn't have one yourself. Thank you for the substitution for us in our place. Thank you for this great truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to spend um, a few minutes here. Uh, we're going to do, um, I think, two or three songs, worship, where we're going to sing and focus on our relationship with God. But we're also going to share in communion together. So there's um, a table here and there. I think there may be a table in the back also. And so during this time, anytime time during these three songs, get up Um, grab one of the small little cups of juice, um, tear off a, a piece of the bread. And the reason we do this is, again, just in community, there's this deeply personal relationship that we have with Jesus where He's changed us and He's forgiven us and saved us. And so He says, do this in memory of me. Think about me. Reminder that I died. My body was broken for you. My blood was shed for you. And so that's deeply personal. And then it's communal too. Like a bunch of us have experienced the change in our life as a result. And so we experience that together too. So there's unity because our stories uh, or there's unity in that God's changed us. There's diversity in that God has done a lot of really different things in our lives to bring us to that point. And then we get to share in this community. So interesting that communion and community kind of sound the same. Um, See what I did there? That's impressive, I'll tell you. So God really um, wants us to engage in this. If you're not a Christian, if you're like, hey, I don't even know, then don't feel like you would need to take part. Sit back, we can talk more about communion more importantly like how and what does it mean to us as believers and why do we do this so um, anyway we'll do that as we worship together and focus on what Jesus did for us